We are in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Story of the birth of a Savior. Hear then the word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with a great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this Lord's Day as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. The gift of your Son, the birth of a Savior. Father, we long for you to draw near and to open our hearts and our minds and to remind us of the beauty and the glory and the power and the humility and the grace and the mercy of this day. That we might truly give our hearts to you afresh and anew in worship and in service. The way you have loved us. For we ask it and we pray it all in Jesus' name. There is this powerful contrast in the passage that is before us, this this contrast between glory and humility. This scene just surrounds the birth of Jesus, just marked with this contrast, glory and humility. you got these shepherds who are watching their sheep at night. They're in the fields outside of the city. They're literally out in the middle of nowhere. They're minding their own business. They're doing their job. It's nighttime. And God chooses them for a revelation, chooses them for a visitation, chooses them to be the recipient of a message. So in verse 9 we see that an angel appears in the fullness of his glory. An angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were filled with great fear. This glory shines around them, it's you know, this word that it shines all around them, that it's visible, that it's manifest, that, that, that they are, in a sense, encompassed by it, overwhelmed by it. You know, glory as it is in the Bible, this idea, is not always visible. There's a great part of God's glory, in a sense, that isn't necessarily a visible thing. It's, it's His moral and spiritual glory. It has to do with who God is and His character, the beauty of His, of his wisdom and His love and His goodness and his kindness and his mercy which are seen in his acts but but it's it's not a visible glory but often that glory of who God is 
the glory of this, this character is manifest to us in a way that becomes visible. It's presented, represented by an etern- external, physical manifestation. In this sense, it seems like it's a brilliant light. You know, sometimes fire, sometimes light. So the angels show and the glory is manifested. And these guys, understandably, are startled. They're afraid. They're awed. The, the literal translation there is they, in, in verse 9, it says they were filled with great fear. It literally says they feared with a great fear. Encounters with angels in their glory don't happen very often. I don't know. Anybody here? You know, not, not a common occurrence, not that it doesn't happen, but it's not happy. It doesn't happen all the time. And so we're told that we might unknowingly encounter angels maybe not in their glory, that they would show up in a way that their glory is veiled, and we don't know that we've even encountered an angel perhaps. And put it in your bulletin there, Hebrews 13, chapter 2. It says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, because thereby some have entertained angels, unawares. Right? And in this case, that glory is, is veiled. It's hidden. And so unknowingly, angels may appear in our lives, intervene in our lives in ways that we don't, don't know. And while we're talking about angels, let, let me straighten one thing out too. People don't become angels. Right? We don't become angels. Sometimes at times of loss, and there are times you hear people talking, I hear, you see it on the TV quite a bit when people do this, and they say, well, when, when somebody passes on, they say, well, God must have needed another angel or something to that effect, or now God has one more angel. You know, and, and the truth is, no, he doesn't. You know, he, he doesn't. The, the people don't become angels. Angels are a separate order of being, a separate order of creation. There are human beings, and there are angels, and they're, they're separate creations, and they don't mingle. The Bible indicates that angels are awesome creatures and sometimes they're described as messengers of fire that do God's will and God's bidding. This, this, this spiritual order of beings. Gabriel says at one point, I stand in the presence of God. But they're very intimidating to encounter these awesome creatures. We have stories of people encountering these angels in their glory at different times. Daniel chapter 8, it's there in your bulletin. It says, when Gabriel came... I was frightened, and I fell on my face. Right, here's Daniel, faith in Gabriel is the angel. He's named. There are only two angels named in the Bible, right? Michael and Gabriel. And Gabriel is named here with Daniel. It's the same angel. He's named that, that, that appears to Joseph and appears to Mary. It's the same angel, Gabriel. So here, Daniel, hundreds of years prior to Mary and Joseph, encountered this angel, and he has the same response as everyone else. I was frightened, and I fell on my face. Luke chapter 1, verse 12, it's there, right under Daniel. When Zechariah, the father of, uh, the father <clears throat> of John the Baptist, when he saw Gabriel appearing to him, it says he was startled and gripped with fear. If you ever encounter an angel with glory, the chances are pretty good that your first emotion will be fear. That you will be awed. That you, will be, you would, in, in the right circumstances, even be tempted to worship a being of this power, this glory. And so this one angel appears to the shepherd with a message. 
And it says that they feared with a great fear. They were terrified. And then it says just a minute later, a multitude of the heavenly host appears. You know, and that word host there is the same one that's used to describe an army. If you say, you know, if you were describing the army that came, the whole host of them came. It's the same word for army, basically. So it says this multitude of the heavenly host, of the heavenly army appears. This army of angels reveal themselves praising God, singing glory to God in the highest. And you can imagine this, this scene. If one angel sent them cringing, and this, this army of angels, it reminds me in the Old Testament when, when the Syrians show up at Elisha's door, and his servant is afraid, what are we going to do, Elisha? There's so many of them, you know. And, and Elijah prays that God would open his eyes and let him see. And he sees, it says, uh, horses and chariots of fire and uh, uh, an angelic host basically surrounding the place at, at, at Elisha's back. And Elisha's not afraid. So there's this opening of the eyes. So there are these angels. An order of beings, God's servants that in many ways inhabit creation as well. Sometimes we just need eyes to see. So this host appears to them. There's this glory that is revealed to the shepherds. And then there's a glory in the, the message that the angel has for them. And the first part of it that is glorious when you see a being like this is that he says, don't be afraid. No fear. I'm not here to announce or to deliver judgment. I'm not the angel of death. Right? I'm here on an errand of grace. I've got good news. I've got good news It will be for great joy, not only for you, but for all people. In a sense, I'm telling you, you know, this is a message for the, for the world, for all the nations. But I'm telling you. I've got good news. God has sent me here on an errand to tell you. And what is the news? It is simple in one respect. It is simply a Savior has been born. Right? The Savior has been born. Salvation is at hand. Right? This isn't a prophecy. He's not saying something is going to happen. He's not saying the day will come. They're used to that kind of Old Testament prophecy for hundreds of years and thousands of years, longing for a Savior, looking forward in the whole business. This isn't prophecy. This is the angel showing up with an announcement. The Savior has been born today, now, in Bethlehem, just up the road. You know, there's this, so there's this, you need to notice this contrast then between the glory of this angelic host and the message that that he has to bring the glorious message that a savior is born and the glory of the in a sense the savior himself the desire of the ages has come but there's this humility in the whole thing because they're talking to shepherds right all of this glory to a group of shepherds you know I don't you know, try to think of an equivalent in our society to shepherds. I mean, I don't, I'm afraid to do it because I'm going to offend somebody, right? So you could use your imagination of who these guys are because, you know, they don't appear to seizure. They don't appear to Herod. They don't appear to uh, the religious leaders of the day. They don't appear to the rich or the powerful, the popular. They don't appear, you know, they appear to these shepherds who are literally out in the middle of nowhere. They're in the fields outside the city. 
on a hillside in, in nowhere Palestine. These guys are living the field. They sleep on the ground. They work with animals. They smell. Right? I've been back, I go backpacking for just three days. And I, and, and I sleep outside and, you know, we're, you're just out there, whatever. And I come home and my wife doesn't want to come near me. You know, it's like, hey, welcome home. Shower's up there. You know, it's drop your stuff. How was it? Fun. Great. Clean up. You know, just to cut these guys, they live out there. These guys are these guys are on the margin of things. They're not part of polite culture. You know, they're not they're not showing up at the tea party. You know, they're not showing up at the at the who's who kind of thing. They live on the outside. They're unknown. You know, to this day we don't know any of their names. The first ones who get told that Jesus Christ was born. Jesus the Messiah, the fulfillment of every promise of God has been born. Was told to this group of people, we don't even know one of their names. Just shepherds. No wealth. No position. No power. Outsiders. On the margins. There's the humility of these shepherds. There's the humility of the child who is, we're told, he is wrapped in swaddling clothes. You even know what swaddling is? Right? If you haven't had a kid, I mean, I, you don't know until they tell you you have a child and they teach you to swaddle him. That means you don't cover him with a blanket. It means you put him on the blanket and you wrap it around, you swaddle him. But you wrap him up. He's this tight little package. Yeah, it restricts his movement. He's wrapped in these, these things. The glorious person of the Savior of all peoples. Swaddled. <laughs> Small and fragile, vulnerable, defenseless, restricted, dependent, so human. The humility of the child, there's the humility of the manger where, you know, the manger, you know, again, we put them up here and it's always, there's always lights and it's clean. There's a little bit of hay, you know, we, we, we sterilize, the, the, you know, mangers in a barn. The manger is where the animals eat. It's basically an animal's plate, right? It's where, you know, have you ever seen an animal eat, you know, uh, <clears throat> dogs, cows, goats? It's where the animals eat. It's not a Roman palace. It's not Herod's estate. It's not even a house. It's not even the inn. There's no room in the inn. It's a barn. Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ was born in a barn, a real, functional barn. You know what I mean by functional? I mean, the, 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 the innkeeper's animals lived there and did their business there. All the travelers who were there who may have had animals were, were kept in the barn. You have this amazing contrast of this glorious host out of heaven with a world-changing message of the birth of a long-awaited Messiah, the Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this message is delivered to these poor, smelly shepherds, nobodies, out in the middle of nowhere, who nobody knows, still don't, nobody knows. And this baby born in a barn, swaddled, tucked in an animal's plate. 
What is it all about? What is the, the message inside this manger? Well, the scene does reveal it well, I believe. We hear it in the song of the angelic host. And I would start there, even though it's at the, I'm going to do the last first. It's in that song in, in 14, glory to God in the highest. Right? Part of the message of Christmas, part of understanding Christmas is this, that as much as anywhere else in all of history, as much as anywhere else in, in, in all of creation, at Christmas the glory of God is revealed. There is a great glory here for God. And Christmas is about who God is. It's about what God is doing. It's a revelation of the purposes and the power and, and the salvation and the prophecy, the long-awaited answer to, to prophecy. It reveals His love and His salvation. It reveals His mercy and His grace. It is God in action. It is God saving. It is God doing. It is an act of the Almighty, the Creator, the coming of this child. It's a revelation of the extent of God's love and His, and his heart to save and the lengths at which He will go, which is part of His glory. You see it in the manger, the lengths to which he will go. And yet, it's glory that we see. Again, it's not manifest. It's not shining light. But it's glory nonetheless. Glory of a God who loved the world so much that he would give his only son. Right? This is what we hear in the words of the angelic messenger as he gives the message. And the message of Christmas is this, a savior is born. It's the bottom line. Christmas. The message. If we are to sum it up. A savior is born. But there are many who in this day and age. Is Christmas. And as we get further and further from the Bible. And further and further from our roots. And further and further from. From these stories. And the biblical worldview and understanding. There are many who. Who hear this kind of message today. A savior is born. In, in, in niggling in their minds or coming right out on the surface is save from what? Savior from what? Things seem okay for me. But another angel, or the same angel, the unnamed angel, speaking to Joseph says, you call, in Matthew one twenty one there in your bulletin under the final point, he says, you call his name you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Right? You're going to call his name Jesus, which means something in the line of Savior. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Maybe you don't think much about sin. Maybe you don't believe in sin. Our culture today marginalizes the whole idea of sin because sin is a theological idea. In other words, sin has to do with God. It, it, it's a word that only has meaning if there is a God. Sin is an offense. It's the breaking. It's the somehow of falling short of, uh, of who God is and what God intends and desires. And so sin has to, is a theological term. It, it has relation to the existence of a God. And when God is marginalized, the whole idea of sin is minimized. We make mistakes. We err. You know, we do all kinds of things. We're broken, and there are all kinds of things. We're sick that we would call it, but sin means it 
that what we have done has some meaning in relation to a God who has made us. The Bible says that this is a real and important thing. In fact, Romans 3.23, there in your Bible, it says that all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we live in a world that is broken by sin, that our lives are lives that are marked and, and broken by sin and the way that we treat each other and the ways that, that it manifests in so many ways, not just in our homes and in our relationships and in our work environment, but in our culture. A world that has been broken, all of us falling short of what God intends and what he has made. Our sin puts us at odds with God. And if we don't believe that, then we're not going to believe we need a Savior. That's fundamental understanding all of what is going on here, that our sin puts us at odds with God. And, and the answer to that is that a Savior has been born. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, further into the book of Romans, not only have all sinned and fall short of the glory, but it goes on to say the wages of sin is death. And why death? That sounds so harsh. And the answer is because sin destroys our relationship with God. Sin puts us at odds with God. It's a fundamental reality that if we can see that, then this whole thing begins to make sense because this, this is why Jesus came. This is what Jesus is all about. He came to lift us up from death, to save us from our sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to be born in a manger so that those who believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 1, verse 12, it's there in your bulletin. It says that to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, right? To all who received this Savior, to all who believe that he is who he says he is, that he has come to do what he says he has come to do, that he accomplishes on the cross in his own body as he as he pays the penalty of our sin to make forgiveness of our sin possible. If we receive this Savior and believe that he paid our debt on the cross, we can be forgiven. That the world can be set right. That what was broken can be mended. Relationship with God. That we could be called the children of God. I want us to see, this is the message a Savior has been born. He is Christ. He is the Lord. But the message comes to us in a manger. And I want to, as we close, I want to go in and look at why the message came in a manger. Why not the Caesar's palace? Not the one in Vegas. <clears throat> the one in, you know. Why not Herod's estate? You know, why not somewhere more glorious? Why does the message come in a manger? Why in a barn? Why to shepherds? Why to outsiders? Why to the dirty and the smelly and the nobody? And, and the answer, I believe, not only here but biblically in the larger picture is simply this. The answer is accessibility. Accessibility. Right? It points to the reality that anyone and everyone can get to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 puts it this way. It's there in your bulletin. It says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the heart of his grace, of his love, of his mercy, of what happened at Christmas. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it? That though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor. He was born as a man in the likeness of our fallenness. He took on our flesh. He, he became a baby. He was born in a barn. He, he entered into our poverty. He entered into our brokenness. Though he was rich for you and for me, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. In other words, he came low to reach the lowest. If he had been born in Caesar's palace, if he had been born in, at Herod's estate or his mansion or his house or his palace, could the shepherds have gone to see him? You think as the shepherds showed up at Herod's court at the outside and the guards met him, would there be access to the Savior? Right? I think Jesus, as Jews, you know, hates, despises being born into that setting. Because then he would be a savior for the elite. For those who could get at Jesus in the circles in which he would run. But he doesn't. He comes, he goes low to save the lowest. He's born in a barn. Outside of the house even. Even if he was in the house and the shepherds knocked on the door at the inn and tried to see him. They might not have gotten in. Until they got a bath. But he's out in the barn. It says they went with haste and they found everybody and they went straight into Jesus. The message is not for the rich and for the powerful. It is not for those who have it all together. It is not for good people. It is not for people who don't think they need a savior. 1 Timothy 1.15, it's there in your bulletin, it says this. This is, this is a trustworthy saying that is deserving of full acceptance. Right? This is an important, solid, biblical God truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, and I'm the worst. I'm the foremost. I'm the lowest. Paul was a persecutor and a murderer and an opposer of Christ. And Paul says, I'm the worst, but this is it. Christ came to save sinners. Christ came to save outsiders, the broken, the messed up, the far off. Us. You and me. Right in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says this. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But it's those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous. I came... For sinners. Right? Is that you? Because if that's you, I have good news. Right? The angels have good news. Jesus has good news. If that's you, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You're never so far gone that Jesus can't reach you. He is, he is the most accessible of saviors. Anyone can get to Jesus. He was born in a stable so that people like you and me could get to him. And he invites the messed up to come to him. He invites the sinners to come to him. And you read the stories of his ministry and his life. And Jesus hung out with everybody with the broken, with the messed up, with the outsiders, with the sick. Not so much the righteous. 
but sinners. You know, Brendan Manning wrote a book that was instrumental in my life years past as I wrestled with some of this stuff. And I wrestled with my own worthiness. And even as I struggled to follow Jesus and I found myself broken and, and, and day after day not living up to the, the standard that I know the Bible holds out for who God calls us to be. And so I would wrestle with if I'm a Christian or if, if this is all true and if God has saved me, then why do I still struggle and why am I still broken? Am I even a Christian? How can God love someone like me who struggles like I do? Because obviously this is all about the good people. But it's not true. Jesus came to save, save sinners. And Manning in this book, and I read it years ago, and it was one of the series that God used in my life to, to really radically change my life and to open my heart to the gospel and the love of God for sinners, for the broken. And Manning, as he opens up his book, he says this, the gospel is not for the super spiritual, right? It's not for muscular Christians who've made John Wayne and not Jesus their hero. It's not for the hallelujah Christians who live only on the mountaintop and have never visited the valley of desolation. It's not for the fearless and the tearless. It's not for the red-hot zealots who boast with the rich young ruler in the Gospels. All these commandments have I kept from my youth. It's not for the complacent who hoist over their shoulders a tote bag of honors and diplomas and good works, actually believing that they've made it. It is not for legalists who would rather surrender control of their souls to rules run the risk of living in union than following Jesus. It is for the bedraggled, the beat up, the burnt out. It's for the sorely burdened who are still shifting the heavy suitcase from one hand to the other. It's for wobbly and weak need who know that they don't have it all together. It's for the inconsistent and unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. It's for the poor, the weak, for sinful men and women, it is for earthen vessels who shuffle along on feet of clay. It is for the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. To us, the angel says, a Savior has been born. And he is Christ, the Lord. He's born in a dirty and a poor but accessible place. He is accessible and he wants to be accessible to us, where all of us can get to him, where all of us can find what we need, which is a Savior. Michael W. Smith, famous Christian musical artist, said this as he come to, came to understand this. He said, I found in this gospel for sinners a new freedom. I discovered how little I had to do to deserve and to receive the love of God, that he loved me more than I ever imagined. Suddenly, instead of fearing and denying all of my real and imagined shortcomings, I could embrace my humanness. I could see God pursuing me through it, in spite of it. My friend, can you see God pursuing you through it, in spite of it? Has the hound of heaven been, been on your heels? Do you know that you need a Savior? Has it become clear that, that this message, this Christmas message is for you? Today is born in the city of David a Savior. And He is Christ. He is the Lord. 
Christmas and Christianity, they're not about a moral code. They're not about religious talk. They're not about programs that we put on. They're not about pretending. They're about discovering and falling in love with the one who was here proclaimed by the angels. Have you ever done that? Have you ever discovered and fallen in love with this one whom the angels proclaim, a Savior, who is Christ, who is the Lord? The manger says, come. Jesus says, come. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. Will you believe that he is who he says he is? Will you trust Him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? Will you receive Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? If you do it today, even now, pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you did not leave us as you found us, lost and broken in our sin, bedraggled, burnt out, broken, bent, you loved us so much that you gave your only son that whosoever would believe in him whoever would receive whoever would believe on his name would not perish but have everlasting life Lord Jesus would you open our eyes and our hearts that we might indeed embrace you this Christmas in a way that we maybe perhaps never have that we would fall in love with this one whom the angels proclaim. Capture our hearts. Drive us to our knees. Bring us to yourself. Make us children of a living God. These things we ask and we pray in the name of